You are listening to Making It in the Toy Industry, episode number 135. Welcome to Making It in the Toy Industry, a podcast for inventors and entrepreneurs like you. And now your host, Ajel Wade. Hey there, toy people. Ajel Wade here, and welcome back to another episode of the Toy Coach Podcast, Making It in the Toy Industry. This is a weekly podcast brought to you by thetoycoach.com. Today's guest is Danielle Morel Cox. She's a minimalist graphic designer and illustrator from Montreal. Danielle's best known for her self-published coloring books called Black Queens and Black Kings, which are filled with images of powerful people and positive affirmations. This book will help uplift your spirit any day. And these coloring books went viral on social media, giving her the opportunity to have segments on CBC, Global, and CTV, amongst many other local and international platforms. The viral post on social media also gave her the opportunity to create a book with Harper Collins, and together they published the book My Hair. My Hair is the perfect introduction to an array of beautiful hairstyles for tiny naturalistas in training. Now, in addition to her work as a graphic designer, she's also the founder, illustrator, and designer of her plush toy brand, Zuri and Dre, which is why I wanted to have her on the podcast today. The toy brand officially launched in January of 2021 and is based on her coloring books. Along with her own work, she's also recognized for being the illustrator and designer for The Big Dreamers, a Canadian Black history activity book for kids series. So, Today, we're going to talk about her journey in the toy industry, and I'm sure there are so many bits of information she's going to have to share and teach us all that we can learn from. Welcome to the show, Danielle. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to dive into your story. Whenever somebody says they went viral, I want to know when, why, how, and we we need to break (laughs) it down so we can all replicate it. Like, that's the whole reason. So, welcome, and you're also a listener of the podcast, which I just found. I am. So this is like a full circle, like fangirl moment right now. Like I'm a fan first before I'm a guest. So I'm super excited. <laughs> ah, that means so much. When did you find the yeah. podcast? I think it was a year ago now. Okay, perfect yeah. timing for when you were starting your yeah. toy brand. There you go. Yeah, I think <laughs> it's, I was looking for mentorship in the most like financially stable way. And AKA I didn't have a budget, so I needed to find on the internet and uh, I found you. So. <laughs> I'm so glad I was there. So yeah. I want to first talk about you're a minimalist graphic designer. Yes. So what kind of work did you do before you ever started your toy line? Yeah, I mean, I graduated in 2011. I want to date myself a little bit, but I graduated in 2011 from college here in Montreal at Dawson College. And after that, I was freelancing ever since I graduated, but I still knew I needed to, of course, learn on the job. So I did work in corporate. I worked in a financial company at first. We're doing like their forms and all that kind of fun stuff, page layout, all that stuff. And then I worked in a houseware, homeware type of company in their marketing department called Soap people in Canada may or not know of it. And so I worked in their marketing department for a good three years. And throughout that whole time, I was freelancing. So I worked there or I worked in the other offices and I was freelancing all at the same time. And then in 2011, I actually fully quit my last job, which was at Soap in the marketing department and did the leap and went full-time freelance, which was absolutely terrifying, (laughs) absolutely scary. But it was a good process because before I actually left the job that I was last at, I actually went part-time. So they allowed me to go part-time because I was very open and very vocal about the fact that I freelance, like my boss knew at the time. And so she was actually open to me going from full-time Fridays a week to part-time, which was two or three days a week. 
And then from there, I was able to kind of build up my client base a little bit more and then finally make the full-time switch to freelance in 2017. So what kind of things were you freelance creating? So I was working with small business owners, funny enough, because I ended up being a small business owner, but I was working with small business owners. I was working with people who wanted to create their branding, their logo, their colors, their guidelines, their visuals to start the company or start the brand. I was working with nutritionists at one point as well. And she offered like classes and coaching and stuff to people who were in the sports world for nutrition. So I worked on our website. I worked on her logo and her visuals and any marketing materials. So it was a lot of branding, it was a lot of marketing material, and occasionally it was website design as well. So how did you find your style? Because you call yourself a minimalist graphic designer and I love design and drawing. And I struggle honestly a lot with just sitting down and like doodling for myself and doing my own style. Mm -hmm. So how did you, while you were freelancing, figure out your own style? A lot of it at the beginning from in school to after school was copying what I saw out there. So whether it was on Pinterest or whether it was like graph design magazines or just what I saw that was posted on marketing or billboards and stuff like that, a lot of it was copying. So not necessarily copying exactly what they did, but mimicking their style. And so I had no idea what I wanted to do or how I wanted to create. And then a lot of it too was me trying to be a minimalist myself in my personal life. So kind of join in with that as well. I was trying to let go of a lot of things. My grandmother had passed away. So that was a huge part of it too. We were getting letting go of a lot of stuff. And so it was like a personal and a professional dream. Would I say I'm a minimalist in my personal life? Probably not. I'd like to be, but I'm not. (laughs) At least I could do it in my professional life. So it was a lot of trial and error. It was a lot of mimicking and getting inspiration from other people. And then it just turned into me not being happy with what I was creating. I wasn't happy with what I was seeing. It was nice, but I I wasn't happy. It wasn't bringing me any type of joy. And so it's just me realizing that, yes, it's great to create things that people enjoy, but I need to love what I'm doing in order for me to be able to help other people. Like the same kind of going back to the idea of like, your cup has to be full before you overflow and fill other people's cups, right? So I had to have the joy in what I was creating before anything else. And so it was a lot of like trial and error. It was a lot of, no, I can't do this, or you're supposed to do this, and you're not supposed to do that. And so it kind of was ups and downs until I got to the point where I was like, no, this is what I like. This is what I'm good at. And minimal is sometimes harder than more maximal (laughs) type of Mm -hmm. design ideas too. So that's a whole other conversation. But a lot of trial and error, a lot of ups and downs, and a lot of realizing like stick to what you like and not just what people think you should do. Right. That I find that yeah. really hard to even know. Cause I, I think when I sit down to like create any piece of artwork because of I guess my background in the toy industry, I'm like, what is the purpose of this? Like, you know, yeah. so then you just try to create toward that purpose instead of creating yeah. like the purpose maybe making you smile might be the purpose. Yeah, so that's interesting. So then you found your style and then mm-hmm. what inspired you to create this Black Kings and Black Queens book? And was the first one, I know right now you have one called Black Kings and a second mm. called Black Queens, but was the first yeah. one together? So the first one was actually Black Queens. I have a combination, so Queens and Kings on Amazon. So for people who want to be able to just purchase it through Amazon, that's the combination book. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so the first book was actually Black Queens. And it all started based off of social media, (laughs) funny enough. So I don't know if anyone remembers, but remember those, like, I mean, I think they're still around. They're called Bitmoji, those little avatars that were part of Snapchat that you can customize and make it look like yourself. Hated them. Visually hated them. Oh my gosh, why? (laughs) I was not a fan. They just, I love the customization aspect of it, but I visually didn't like how they were, I guess because they weren't minimal, right? They were more detailed and all that kind of fun stuff, but I was not a fan. And so I actually started with creating an avatar for my face based off of like my signature hairstyle at the time, which was the two pom-poms. And I just did that in black and white with no mouth because drawing mouths are hard. 
and <laughs> I didn't want to have a mouth, so there was no mouth. I like the reason behind the design because I didn't want to draw yeah. a mouth. It was too hard. And mouths so. are hard. Yeah, it, it is what it is. I realized what my strengths are, my weaknesses, and I just follow the strengths. You know, <laughs> that's great. Uh huh. So I did, I drew myself well digitally, like on on my computer. I posted it, and then. People like loved it. And I was like, oh, okay. So then I did more with different hairstyles. The face stayed the same. The hairstyle changed, still no mouth. And from there, it kind of spiraled into creating people who, quote unquote, avatars or people who look like people I interacted with or people in my family or people I've seen online or just people in my community. And then it turned into like women, femme looking, masculine looking, like kind of all over the Face, but they all had the same face. So they all had the eyes, the simple eyes and the simple nose. The nose was always wide. So I always wanted to make sure that the noses that I created were wide because yeah. I always had an issue with my nose when I was younger and yeah. people made fun of me for my same. wide nose. Yeah. And so my I always wanted to, to make put, sure. like, the clip on it so that it would oh. get smaller. She's like, yeah, just like pinch your nose every night. Like I used to do that. And so like now anything I do in regards to faces always has a wide nose because like people yeah. need to realize wide noses are great and they're beautiful. Yeah. The faces, I posted them on, on Instagram, got a lot of people responding, commenting and stuff like that. And then it just turned into like, okay, what can I do with this? People are like, you need to do more. And I was like, okay, I mean, I'm listening, but like, what, <laughs> what do I do? And then it turned into the coloring book. I mean, I have the experience of page layout. I work with printers, like I know that aspect of like creating something from computer to physical. So that aspect wasn't hard for me. The hardest part for creating the actual coloring book was like figuring out what illustrations to create for the pages. But yeah, it all started from social media. So it started from me posting something just based off of me not liking another thing. And then it turned into people loving it. (laughs) I love it because like, I think I talked about this a while ago. It was an episode I did where I talked about like the puzzle of you. And that's what Mm -hmm. you were doing where you're pulling from all these parts of your life, your page layout background, your graphic design background, this new style that you've developed, the avatars that you hated and the one you, and the love (laughs) you have for wide noses. And then you're combining everything you know into something new. Okay. Mm -hmm. I want to back up a little bit because a lot of people that go viral say this thing that you said, like, I just posted it on my social media and like everybody loved it. And then, you know, so the question I often have is, Mm -hmm. were you already a person who is very engaged with social media, even in a personal Mm -hmm. capacity where you would post with your friends and family a lot before you did this? So surprisingly enough, the reason why I became viral wasn't because of those individual like avatars that I was posting. It was actually a picture I posted on Twitter because I still love Twitter. A picture I posted, very raw, very like, e- not edgy, but just like real life of me taking a picture of the book in the box at the printer to say this is my first print run. So that picture is actually went viral on Twitter. And before that, yeah, I mean, I love Twitter. I, I tend to tweet on a regular basis, whether it's personal, professional. Do you really? Yeah, I love me some Twitter. I think now at this point, I think Twitter is like my favorite, my favorite app. It's always really? been there. Like if you if you go on my account, I'm pretty sure it says like join in 2009. Like I've been on it forever. Wow, I did not <laughs> yeah. never fell in love with Twitter. Yeah, I love Twitter. I think it, it just became like in good and bad ways. Like I'm tightening myself up a bit. Back in the day, it became like my journal. It became the place where I just like shared Interesting. things. Interesting. Good or bad. Some things have been deleted. Some tweets have been deleted because sometimes I share too much and not everyone needs to know all of your business. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so... Before that, I was always posting, at least on Twitter. Instagram, I was kind of new to. I mean, I've been on it for for a while now, but I did share personal stuff on Instagram as well. 
And then it just turned into almost like a portfolio. Like it became a second portfolio. I always have my website, but then Instagram was the personal project, but also showed my skills and my style and stuff like that. So yeah, I posted personally, but then Instagram became more professional and Twitter just became kind of both. And it's the tweet on Twitter that kind of skyrocketed everything because that's how an editor at HarperCollins found So I've just, I bring up that question because I think often people feel one, I'll never go viral or two, I'll go viral. I'll just post this thing and then I'll go viral. Yeah. Uh, I just want people to realize like, it's not like you can just never be active on social media. And then one day, <laughs> like, you know, you do need to have like some people who are us- usually looking at the stuff that you post, even if it's friends and family, so that mm-hmm. if you happen to post something that really connects with people, then it has a chance. Mm-hmm. You self-publish this book. What does that really mean when you self-publish your first book before you connected with HarperCollins? I designed the file. I sent the printer and the printer printed it. <laughs> and that was it. <laughs> and then you sold it on your website. Yeah. Like that's literally what self-publishes for me. At least I don't see it any other way other than that. Of course you have your outlets with your Amazon and stuff like that. But like, yeah, it was just a matter of like creating the content for me with coloring pages, getting it made from a printer who I actually worked with in a previous job. So like, it was funny how that connection is still going because of a job that I had and then offering it to people, whether it's on a website, whether it's your website or Amazon or in a bookstore. And yeah, that was the process for me. It wasn't, it wasn't hard because I had that background in design when it came to the layout and creating the book itself. And then I'm not printing it. So it's just a printer doing that work. So it was pretty easy in that sense. So as you shared your journey, this photo of like your first print run, you go viral. HarperCollins contacted you? Yeah. What they say? It's crazy because like in my wildest dreams, I never would have expected where I am today compared to where I thought I was going to be. Like I thought I was yeah. going to have a graphic design agency, like nowhere close to where I thought I would be. And so they saw the viral tweet and an editor from HarperCollins reached out and I thought it was fake. Didn't think it was real. Oh my um, gosh, that said. is what my friend said. Before we yeah. started this interview, I was telling Danielle about my friend Yesenia, who also was interviewed on this podcast. Check out her episode. But she said the same thing when she got a message mm-hmm. from a publisher. She was like, I didn't think it was real, so I ignored it. Yeah, I'm just like, I looked at it and looked up the person after. I was like, I Googled their name. Because like, if you don't have a LinkedIn page, like you're probably fake. But they had a LinkedIn page. So I was like, yeah. okay, this, this seems legit. Oh my god! And so I responded and then it of course went from DMs to emails and then after that it was actually forwarded to another editor who was more in the kids space within HarperCollins and then that became my current editor for my hair. Yeah, wow. it's crazy. Like they DM'd me because they saw the viral tweet and when I posted that tweet it wasn't just like me thinking it would do anything. It was just, I yeah. was excited. I wanted yeah. to share like, look at the thing I made that's physically in my hands. Yeah. And so I was just excited to post it. And then people also shared that excitement. And yeah. <laughs> so when she said she has an editor for her hair, she didn't mean like I have an editor for my hair. She meant <laughs> she has yeah. an editor for her book, My Hair. So tell us, yeah. <laughs> tell us yeah. a little bit about My Hair, your book. Yeah. So that was an amazing experience. It was also like different, right? Because from between self-publishing compared to traditional publishing, Completely two different worlds, right? Like as we tell know. us, what's the um, difference? How did you feel about it? <laughs> it? They both have their pros and cons, right? <laughs> like self-publishing, you do anything and everything you want, whether good or bad. You could do anything from start to finish. You can have a book out tomorrow if you create it today, right? You could do anything you want in that sense. You could decide the cover, the colors, the font. You could do anything you want, the size, paper, etc. 
Now, in traditional publishing, <laughs> you don't have all that creative freedom, yeah. <laughs> right? Like, yes. they tell you a lot of what needs to be done, which was, like, something I'm kind of used to in the graphic design freelance world, right? Like, I'm used to clients telling me what to do and then me creating it. So that wasn't too far off of the, what I'm used to. But yeah. the idea of from self-publishing to traditional publishing definitely was different. And then, of course, with self-publishing, you have to worry about all the distribution. You have to worry about the printing, the cost, and everything. So that's a huge con when it comes to self-publishing. If you're printing it yourself or if you have another person printing it, that's not the point. point is you have to worry about all that aspect, distribution, printing, et cetera. Traditional publishing, you're just sitting back and they're just taking it and doing all the things and getting it into places that you can only imagine. Like, I don't have the contacts to get it into Barnes & Noble in the States or Indigo here in Canada. Like, that's that's our kind of Barnes and Noble equivalent. similar kind of yeah equivalent so they have all the access they have all the contacts they have all the resources to be able to get thousands of books printed distribute all those thousands of books and then also do the marketing and stuff so pros and cons for both I love both experiences and it was good to kind of get feedback from people who are in the industry as well because like I'm making a self-published book and I'm, I'm doing what I think is right but I don't know if people will enjoy it or people will yeah. receive it the same way I'm interpreting it so in the traditional publishing world they were able to give me the feedback able to give me the insight like okay no kids don't really like that type of page we need to add a mouse I'm like okay that makes sense like <laughs> so in my don't head, worry we'll get we'll get someone to help you draw it it'll be okay <laughs> So luckily the book is super simple. So their faces are like half circles and like okay. lines. So it's very yeah. simple. It's still in my style, which I love to. It's very minimal art, yeah. but it's full color compared to my books, which are black nice. and white yeah, and yeah. stuff. Yeah. So pros and cons for both. I enjoy both of them in their own ways. Yeah. Yeah. It was a little different when I looked at it. I was like, oh, this is like, I think I saw my hair first. And then I went back yeah. to see your viral one. I was like, oh, they look yeah. very different. But I guess I know yeah. why. I know why. Exactly. You, you had to fit into the market. They were like, all right, Danielle, you can't be like yeah. to you. Yeah. You just got to yeah, like, we exactly. got to work on this. <laughs> yeah. We got to do a little bit of a tweak, but like, you're doing great. But like, yeah, let's you, try to go in there. You're doing day. great. <laughs> <laughs> we love you, but. <laughs> yeah. That's so funny. So, okay. So you did this book with HarperCollins. Do you have any more books on the way? Are you working with them for anything else? So at the moment, no, there's nothing oh, okay. on the way. There's no contracts like signed or anything. Also, another thing to mention when it came to traditional publishing, release dates, super far away compared to self-publishing. Like, I could, okay. again, have a book ready tomorrow and print it and it's on my website tomorrow. Whereas yeah. traditional publishing, especially for my book, it was such an awkward time. So two years before the actual release date is when we started working on it, is when, like, the contracts were being signed. And then two years felt like forever, but of course two years came and it's like, okay, great. But two years happened in 2020. My book released in 2020. Oh my god! So wow. it was a whirlwind of all the things I wish I could do, but couldn't do. The marketing oh, that like could have happened, but couldn't happen. Yeah, like uh, I wanted to do a little mini book tour. I wanted to go to the states and go to different fairs and stuff. I wanted to visit my editor in New York because they're based in New York. I'm based in Montreal, Canada. So it's like a lot of things I wish could have happened didn't happen just because of terrible timing because of the pandemic but yeah a big thing too between the differences between traditional and, and self-publishing is like the time frame in regards to releasing your actual book huge difference yeah did you like feel like you needed that much time I wonder because like your style is so minimal like do you, did, wait, yeah. so you did the artwork and the copy or just the artwork? so there was a, there, it was a ghostwriter actually oh okay. okay yeah yeah I wish I was good with words I'm not <laughs> I'm, so you did I'm the, the artwork I did the artwork okay. and then they had a ghostwriter. 
Yeah, who was actually my friend. I got my friend to actually be the ghostwriter. So it was like a win-win, which was pretty oh, cool. Oh, that is so yeah. awesome. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, you can actually right. see his name in the back of the book. Like, if What's you his have name? the book, you could, his name is Kyle Bernard. You can see his name in the back of the book. I think it says, like, special thanks to Kyle Bernard at the bottom. Oh, oh that's nice. Yeah. That's so that nice. was pretty cool. But no, I, w- I was just the one who did the artwork. And funny enough, I didn't do the actual setup of the book. I didn't graphic design or lay out the book. They had a graphic designer who did it. And I was like, well... You're that's like, oh, different. that's I'm nice. I'm not used to this. Yeah. <laughs> so tell me, what inspired you to turn your art into toys? When did you do that? Was that before you did this book? Was it after? When When did all that happen? So it was definitely after because the faces, I have them here actually like right yeah. next to me. Oh, the so faces cute. are based off of the faces in my coloring books, which again, no mouths. And they have the same eye shape and the same nose shape. So the book came first and then the dolls. But let's clarify, the the queen (laughs) and king book came first. Yeah. These are different characters from my hair. These are characters from kings and queens. And yes, it's a different character from my hair. Yeah. Yeah. So my hair is completely different. Um, Yeah. More youthful looking faces in the sense of like features and of course more color of course but the features from the dolls are based off of my self-published coloring book so not from the my hair board book and it was kind of like I don't know a lot of me like I'm, I'm still very much a kid at heart like I watch cartoons all the time I probably watch cartoons more than real people shows yeah like I'm like the things that normally tend to illustrate or animate are very like animated style or kid friendly in that sense and so the next step for me wasn't really a plan. It was more of like, okay, what if? And my mom has always taught me, like, ask questions, try things out, see what happens. And so, funny enough, she's the reason why I became a graphic designer. So this is that's oh, quite funny nice. too. Yeah. But it was just like, what what else could I do? I was just like in my curious phase, like, what else could I do? And funny enough, I actually wanted to do figurines. So vinyl figurines, like Funko yeah. Pop style figurines. And then I realized that the, the cost. sample costs are very high. Yeah. <laughs> I Actually, so, one of the things I was going to ask you was like, why'd you go with plush first? But yeah, I yeah. figured it was cost. Yeah. So the original idea was going to be figurines. And then the sample cost, I think, was at that point was like 750 US. And keeping in mind, like I'm in Canada. So like a yeah. dollar US might be like, let's say a dollar 70 Canadian, oh right? And you multiply oh. that by hundreds and it gets a little, oh. little pricey. Yeah. Jesus. So I was like, so that's a hard no. That's a hard pass. <laughs> hard pass, hard pass. So the prices were way too high for a sample for a figurine. And then I was like, okay, what's the next best thing? Plush dolls it is. And then I just kind of went from there. And so... I actually reached out to a manufacturer supplier company actually based in the States because I couldn't find anyone in Canada, but their manufacturing, regardless of the office being in the States, their manufacturing is still done in China. And so I've been working with them ever since. And they kind of helped me transform my illustration concept idea of a figurine into a doll in like over a few months. And Zuri was first, then Dre, and soon we're going to have a new doll. I know. I saw that video today. Yeah, I'm Did so excited. Did you name him yet? It's a sample. No. So the name is actually going to be based off of people's feedback. And so that's actually yeah. how Zuri and Dre was born. Because Zuri and Dre weren't named by me. They were made, named by my audience. I tend to use social media a lot. Yeah. Everyone. No, that's yeah. great. So when I first had the dolls, I had like a page for the coloring books. The dolls were introduced on that page. And then from there, I was like, what do you guys think the name should be? From there, people gave me suggestions. I picked the two names I liked the most for each, for each doll. I put it onto an Instagram story, put a poll, and then asked people which name they, they liked from the two that I chose. And Zuri and Dre won. And that's how the name came to be. 
I love, I always say like survey your audience. This is like, you surveyed your audience yeah. into a whole business. It wasn't even yeah, like, exactly. should I do plush or vinyl? It was like, no, literally <laughs> what the heck should I call this? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Did you, no, did literally. you happen to survey people for how much it should retail also? No. Cause no. at that point I was like looking at what was out there. I was also looking at costs and everything. And I kind of just figured it was more than I knew it was going to be more than just like a random teddy bear you see at Toys R Us or something because of course it's so different and it's just me creating it so I'm not a huge corporation and I knew I didn't want it to be too expensive because I wanted it to be accessible to people because I know you can get dolls of course like the hard plastic ones for like 80 bucks I knew I didn't yeah. want it to be too high in that sense yeah but I knew I couldn't make it as low as like ten dollars a doll because the cost it's is like possible. 15 Canadian so like yeah. oh my gosh <laughs> Yeah. So I want to I read this mission you have from your site. Zuri and Dre Plush represent anyone who feels unnoticed and unappreciated because of the melanin in their skin. Her puffs and his high top are more than hair. They're a statement. To be natural, it is to be beautiful and wonderful. They're an anchor to be felt, held, and squeezed, and to a reminder that you belong. But it's so well written beautiful so did you say why you were inspired to do this i feel like to create the dolls it was yeah. it was a curiosity in me i was like hey what else could i do after the books like what else could i possibly create it that was really it there was no rhyme or reason there was no like okay i'm gonna be a toy brand and i'm gonna start a whole new brand and business like nowhere close to that it was just like hey what else could i try are you struggling at all to scale being kind of a one-man show one thousand percent yes okay <laughs> So what are your plans? What can we workshop right now? What do you need help yeah. us think about it? What? I mean, I need help with all the things, to be quite honest with you. I think it's just like the same notion of like, if you do a whole bunch of stuff, you can't put, a, of course, 100% into everything you're doing because you could only do so much. So right. it's like, I want to be able to do five things, but I'm only doing like maybe 10 to 20% in each of those five things, right? Yes. And I want to be able to just do 100% into one thing. So I'm actually getting help with marketing as of now, which is, thank God. So I'm starting that. But I think scaling for me is like, what does scaling even mean? Like, what what do I want to do? What do I want to create? Do I want to be like the next Hello Kitty? And I say Hello Kitty because she also doesn't have a mouth. So I reference oh, her a lot. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, I reference yeah. her a lot. But of course, she's a cat and like, these are based off of people. But still, like, <laughs> I reference her a lot because she has no mouth. But yeah, I mean, a lot of it is like, how do I get myself out there in the sense of like, getting into bigger and more stores. I do have the dolls on the Indigo website, which again is the equivalent to Barnes and Noble for us in Canada, but they don't have them in all the stores. And then I do have my books in some stores, but that's because I've reached out individually to those stores to get the books in the stores. That's for my self-published books. My hair, the board book is through the, the publisher. So they work with all that. And I don't have to worry about that in that sense. I just get royalties whenever royalties will eventually come which right. they haven't yet, but they will hopefully next year. But <laughs> but in regards to all the stuff that I'm doing myself, like the self-published coloring books and then the dolls, it's all just based off of whatever I can handle or get myself into. I reach out to as many places as I can in the sense of like brands or retailers, but it's like my email is probably just like another spam email to them, right? It's just like I'm, I'm a nobody in their eyes. They don't have the connect. I don't have the connect to talk directly to a buyer directly to someone in the buying department or in the buying team. Yeah, so we like- got to get you to trade shows. You, you, I don't know if you saw my stories, but I was literally just at a trade show for small retailers and small Were toy you? companies. Yes. Like, why weren't you there? Why weren't you there? Because Where- you weren't in my course. And you didn't know about it. That's why. Why weren't you, you there? Have well- you have a point. <laughs> You need Points to be there. Points were made. Points oh were made. Oh my <laughs> gosh. 
<laughs> okay, don't worry. We're going to get this together. Yeah, what? I mean, yeah, because I, I, I think part of it is like, what do I want to do? And I'm like, I, this is definitely something I do want to pursue more. Like, I, I yeah. want to let go of freelance and graphic design and pursue more yeah. of the ways. I want to mm-hmm. make this my number one. It's still mm-hmm. kind of a number two at this point, but I do want to make it a number one. So I know that for sure. And then it's just a matter of, okay, what does that mean? Getting into retailers, of course, being seen mm-hmm. by more customers. Do I want to focus on more B2B than B2C? I don't know. I assume B2B uh, is the more lucrative like deal of it. Yeah. And I, then at that point, of course, I would probably need like a distributor and all that. Like, mm. I know the things that I should yeah. do. The question yeah. is how to do that. Keep growing your visibility and, and your people that are backing you. Mm-hmm. Because when you do go to the toy shows, you're, you can come with this audience as a following and say, I've got this right. number of impressions or I've got this audience and that will make them be more interested. Because you keep saying you're a nobody, but I have a feeling it might be how you're presenting yourself in email. Maybe. Right. Um, because Maybe, you seem very probably. humble and not like leading with like has a book with Harper Collins, <laughs> something right. like That's that. Also a point. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I for you, I mean, since you're already rolling, I would keep ro- and you have a social media person. I would keep rolling into getting you coverage and building your audience mm-hmm. even more. Do you have their email addresses, your audience? Not all of them, but I do have like uh, over like I don't have a lot. So like on social media, they have like let's say between it, Twitter and Instagram, and Facebook, they have like over 8,000 follows, but I only have like, I had about 800 emails and I had about 300 people. And then like now based off the people, cause I've kind of narrowed it down to people who actually open my emails and don't just subscribe and then don't open. I have maybe about 130. So 130 people who like actually open Dang emails. <laughs> you need to stop it right now. Hold on. Okay. So Number one, we need to be collecting emails. Okay. Yeah. And and yeah. also switching to an ESP email service provider that's like reliable. I used to have one called MailerLite. Not great. Okay. I'm like switching okay. over to one called Active Campaign. Better, but really a little complicated to set up. So you might want to start okay. with one like called ConvertKit. Set that up because if you launch on Kickstarter or something, you can get it funded with your email list. And I think the thing is with your emails, you might be trying to email the way that most brands email where they have like a newsletter and like our new product. But I think for yeah. you, cause you love Twitter. I think you should yeah. email like you tweet, you know, you should email oh. the same style, a short little picture yeah. story, like email, like you tweet. Cause that's what people like from you and it's quick and it's short and it still tells the story of your brand and you, and they'll probably okay. read it. And at the, at the bottom of each email, you can have like a big shop now button or sale now button. You know what I mean? But mm. short little story tweet email. Yeah. So they, they'll open that's, it. That's a really good idea. Yeah. I mean, I, I tried Kickstarter at the beginning. So before I actually got my first batch of toys, we launched in 2021. I tried Kickstarter twice. <laughs> yeah. But you're not, you're an email list. So what were you doing? Right. Well, no, then I right. didn't. Then I did it. So yeah. that I tried the Kickstarter when I had like pretty much a very little audience, like less than a thousand people yeah. of an audience. Oh, yeah. And like majority of them were following me for me, not instead of the dolls. So mm. probably if I started the Kickstarter now, I'd probably get a lot more traction. So it's definitely something to, to reconsider and rethink. Yeah. And the reason I'm saying start a Kickstarter is because toy companies now do pay attention to, wait, they had a six figure Kickstarter that was funded. Mm. We'll pay attention to that brand. But also you kind of built a license because you have this book and you have these dolls. So there's this Mm -hmm. competition called Licensing You by the Las Vegas Licensing Expo puts on this competition every year called Licensing You. 
I don't know okay. what it costs to join, but if you win, you get like mm-hmm. a bunch of things, or at least last year you did. You get access to their educational platform. You get mm-hmm. your you get a year membership into like their licensing group. You also get like a mentor. And not to mention the fact that you're going to pitch this at a licensing expo, which with a bunch of licensing agents listening to all of your successes, which at that time might be a six figure Kickstarter. But even if it's right. not already, I'm sure you have like crazy tweet numbers. You have a lot of followers. And I was at that pitch event this past year, one of my students won for the character and animation portion, but another mm. woman won for, um, who won for like the product, I think portion, she okay. had like a million follows on what was it like Giphy? Like, so it's like, she didn't know. I mean, yeah. But from Giphy, it wasn't like yeah. anything else, you know, but she had a great idea and it's a yeah. real good kickstart and boost. So I think you could go two ways. You could go to a show like Astro American specialty toy retailing association. You could go to a show like that. You could partner with the sales rep. They can help get your, you won't have to do all the work. Then they can like sell your idea right. to all these little stores. Right. Or you could go the route where you try to license out your IP. So like all your illustrations and your drawings, cause you have a following and you go mm-hmm. to licensing expo and other people that want to create like maybe notebooks or sketch pads or something, maybe they want to make vinyl dolls and they can make it on their dime. Use your artwork, uh, pay you a fee. Like that's a whole yeah. other, you got two ways you could go with this. Right. Right. So I would focus for yeah. right now, building that audience. Because okay. keep you're, you've already got such momentum, like just like keep keep going. going. Yeah, keep. Okay. I going. mean, I appreciate it. That that's amazing. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just think it's going to be great. So I'm going to see you at Thank Astro you. next year. <laughs> you missed a really good one this year. It was really good. Like we were at Long yeah. Beach. It was amazing. Yeah, Ooh. I'm a board member of Astro, so I'm going to push Astro real hard. But, <laughs> but. <Okay. laughs> So, you know, disclaimer. Okay. Okay. Does it change like location, like different it cities does. every year? It does. This, I don't know if I'm allowed to say what the next one is, so I won't just yet, but it's the only trade show I know of that changes location every year. They're actually cool. going to have an Astra toy boat if you're interested. Anyway, we're getting off track. Let's go back into the interview. Okay. okay. <laughs> we're going, we're getting way off track, but I just want to see you at a toy show. Your product is ready. Yeah. Yeah. Like I'd love that. I'd absolutely love that. You were ready. Okay. Well, Thank actually, you. we got to look, look at your pricing. We got to look at your pricing, but I think you're ready. Probably. I think Probably. You're ready. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's because so, I can't get like thousands of dolls made. So my pricing is a little higher than I'd like it to be. But yeah. And as soon as you can get that big order, then you can get those thousands of dolls made. But a lot of people do take yeah. a lot of upfront risk and they make it and they try to sell it. So sometimes. Mm-hmm. Okay. My, one of my questions for you was how, how do you fund your doll line? Is it your nine to five? Well, my nine to five is my freelancing, yeah. which is yeah, that's it's what I sporadic. Mean, it's like, yeah, it's like up up and down. So it's not like I have consistent revenue. Like I do have some retainers, right. but like I also have bills to pay. So it comes from self, self-funding self and credit cards. Yeah. To be quite honest with you. Yeah. Credit yeah. cards and, and self-funding. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's hard being an entrepreneur. Nobody tells you. Yeah. It <laughs> is. It really is. Much. So hard. Like, yes, there are great moments, but like, there's a lot of behind the scenes that is like taxing because, of course, it's just you. So it's like you almost take it physically sometimes and personally. So yeah, it, it's it's very hard. <laughs> so the hardest part for me is like when you hire people. It's like, yay, happy day! And then yeah. every month you're like, oh, I gotta hustle. Like, I gotta, yeah, gotta I gotta pay these. them. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> so you're like, all right, what project are we? A little fire under you, right? Like it does. Yeah. This is yeah. what I imagine it's like to have kids. <laughs> this is. I assume so too. I don't have kids yet either, so I'm like, I assume so because it's like, dang, I gotta wake up every morning and like help you. So yeah, like <laughs> this is I'm sure it's exactly like this. Me and Danielle. Are like, <laughs> It's exactly like this. It's all we it is. No reference. We're just assuming. We have no reference. Please, moms, don't hate us. We don't know. Please don't. <laughs> we don't know. With Zuri and Dre, was your yeah. goal to make people feel like comfortable with their hair and not feel weird about it when you made them look the yeah, way? Yeah, I they mean, look? I wanted to make sure that they had like natural looking hair in the sense of, of course, it's their plush, so it can't be physically yeah. and it can't touch or look and feel like natural hair, but. The style and the aesthetic and the outlines of the shape look and resemble natural hair. Because, like, when I started my natural hair journey, like, years ago, when I was, like, loose natural, it was huge for me. Like, I had no idea what I was doing. I just know I didn't want to put in um, the relaxer in my hair to make my hair yep. straight, the chemicals mm-hmm. to make your hair straight. I didn't yep. want to do that anymore. And then I wanted to handle my own hair as it grew out of my head. And that, that's a full-time job all on its own, which is why I decided to go dreadlock eventually, because who had time for that? But it was it was... It was a good experience. It was a stressful experience, but it was like an eye-opening experience because I didn't like my hair for reasons that I didn't even create. Like the reason why I didn't like my hair wasn't because of me, not because I just woke up and said, I hate my hair. It was because of what I was told, people questioning things, people disagreeing with, with things or just saying things that maybe weren't directed towards me, but I heard it and it made me second guess myself. Or because my mom is black but lighter than me, like people commented on my skin and said I was adopted just because we weren't the same shade of black. Oh my like gosh. all these things, which is why I wanted to make sure that there were different shades of black in the dolls. Oh, because not only is it just based off of a personal experience, but it's also that's what we see out there. Like not everyone looks the same, and we need to be able to see that in more than just, of course, TV and billboards. But you need to see it in your everyday life, right? And all the stuff that kids mm-hmm. and adults play with and touch. Yeah, it's, it's cemented in so many things, w- whether personal or not. The majority, let's be honest, is personal. But I wanted to just show people <laughs> and show kids that, like, the way your hair is, is beautiful. And if she can have hair like this, like, it's okay for you to have hair like this. And yes. a huge part of what I do to you, which I've only realized as I've been doing it, is, like, yeah. these are the things I wish I had as kids. These are things mm-hmm. I wish I had. I wouldn't have wanted to put the chemicals in my hair. Regardless of my mom literally adoring me and adoring my sister and loving us like to no end, saying we're beautiful, all the great things that you should hear. I didn't leave her because that's mom. Mom is supposed to say those things. And I listened to the people that I was going to school with that were like, why is her nose so wide? Why is her nose so big? And stuff like that. You know what I mean? So I just wanted kids and adults because adults found my choice too. I wanted them to feel okay with being them and being them also includes your hair because that's how your hair grows out of your head. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. And I too, I'm like, you're like my best friend now because I also yeah. had had the experience where I decided I don't want to relax my hair anymore. So, and also, yeah, if I would touch my, my hair, afro, it I'd be, be like, <laughs> yeah, it needs to be accessible. <laughs> okay, all right. I've got to, we're going to wrap this up. Closing questions. What is the best piece of advice that you received since you started this toy company of yours? Keep going. Okay. Like, I mean, there are a lot of times where I thought I was going to quit. I'm not going to lie. Because, again, I'm very open. So, like, I'm an open book. And I think it's a good thing and a bad thing. But I think it's a good thing just for other people who want to, like, freelance or start a business or whatever to realize, like, it's not all happiness and sunshine and rainbows and butterflies. Like, 
There are moments where it's not okay. It's dark. There are moments when you're crying in the corner sometimes. You're just like, I use all my savings into creating a doll. Like, and is it going to work? I don't know. So, <laughs> um, I think the best advice I've gotten is keep going because it, it's doing something. Like when I get those videos of kids like holding on to the doll and squeezing them, or literally I hear the kids in the video say like, mommy, they have my hair. Like I could shed a tear every time I see a video like that. Aww. But of course, like, you don't focus on that all the time. And there's moments where I'm just like, what am I doing? Why am I doing this? And so keep going. It's definitely been the biggest for me. Yeah. So I have a mm-hmm. testimonials page on my website and whenever I want to give up, I like read it. Oh yeah. That's good. <laughs> you need to do that's that. You really need to good. put up yeah. like a page on your site so you can just go back to it whenever you feel like it's Yeah. Done. That's a good idea. Yeah, man. It's hard out here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> hard. It is. It really is. And then you add a pandemic and probably like, like I assume inflation with uh yes. anyways, life's a mess and I it's not here. So <laughs> it's okay. Like it's we're okay. probably in a recession. I don't know. I but know, it's, right? There's just it's just a lot is happening. It's it's a lot. <laughs> this is one of my favorite interviews. Thank you. Okay. What toy blew your mind as a kid? Okay. So I had a few favorites. Okay. But the one that keeps coming back is Polly Pocket. But like the oh, old school yeah. Polly Pocket that were like the size of like your fingernail, like super yes. tiny, right? Yes. And like I had like all the little houses and stuff that looked like a shell that you opened up and like they had their circular feet and they popped into a spot. And like that's where they just stayed. So yeah, Polly Pockets. But like the OG Polly Pockets that were very tiny, not the new ones. I, that's, oh my, <laughs> you're literally me. You are me. You are me. <laughs> I'm like, we are the same person. Literally everything you said about hair, everything you said about Polly Pockets, I have said on a podcast, like almost word for word, literally. (laughs) Yes, I agree. I support this and I can't wait. So now I'm starting to do reviews of people's favorite Mm -hmm. toy that blew their mind. So I cannot wait. Thank you, Danielle. Thank you. Polly Pockets for sure. I mean, I have other favorites too. Like, there don't worry about those. And, we don't need to know. And about like, those. Tamagotchi. Tamagotchi is also very high up there too. I the top, love like those. the OG Tamagotchi. Yes, that was like green, egg. green and black, and like, right. yeah, those <laughs> ones too are definitely high up there. But I was also the artsy kid, so like sometimes it wasn't necessarily those toys. It was like those art kits. You know, the art kits that they well, maybe not everyone knows, but like you'd order them off the TV. <laughs> yes, I know. Was, and then it was yeah. the case. And you open yeah. it with all the... <laughs> yeah. Those two. So, like, those are my top three. But definitely Polly Pockets are up there. <laughs> You're amazing. I love this. All right. Finally, where can people find more about you and Zuri and Dre, your doll line? So, me specifically, you can search my name, which is Daniel Merrill Cox. D-A-N-I-E-L-L-E-M-U-R-R-E-L-L-C-O-X. Or you can make it easier for yourself and just search up my handle, which is D-M-C-O-X underscore and that's on twitter that's on instagram i'm on tiktok too and that's the thing that i'm doing and so yeah you can find me dm cox underscore or for the dolls you could just search up the name which is zuri and dre so z-u-r-i-a-n-d-b-r-e and they're on twitter they have their own instagram they have their own tiktok and they have their own website because they are cooler than i am they have a twitter oh I yeah can't wait they to do see what they think about oh i'm gonna follow them oh my god Thank you so much for coming on the show today. It was really Thank a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Yeah, yeah, this is amazing. Like, again, fangirl, whole circle moment, super excited, so happy. 
<laughs> have a great day, Danielle. Thank you. Have a good one. Thanks for Bye. having me. Well, there you have it, toy people. My interview with Danielle Morell Cox. As you could hear, we had a great time on our talk. I hope you enjoyed the little mini coaching session that Danielle got from me. Kind of impromptu, but a lot of fun. But also, I hope you learned what happens when you create an IP or a product that goes viral. Business opportunities might come to you, but it's really what you make of it. Danielle really engaged with her community online and was able to build plush toy products that were essentially designed by her community, name and all. So once the products were out, her community online was there to support their release and to purchase that product. I hope in this episode, I drove home the importance of an email list. And further, I should say the importance of having an SMS list as well, which means a text messaging list. Now, if you love this podcast and you haven't already done so, please leave a review. I get a notification on my phone anytime a new review is put in and it puts a huge smile on my face to see that this podcast is making an impact on you and your toy business or your toy career. So please leave that rating and review if you love this podcast. As always, thank you so much for being here with me today. I know your time is valuable and that there are a ton of podcasts out there, so it truly means the world to me that you tune into this one. Until next week, I'll see you later, toy people. Thanks for listening to Making It in the Toy Industry podcast with Agile Wade. Head over to thetoycoach.com for more information, tips, and advice. Hey, are you an aspiring toy inventor or toy entrepreneur? Then you should check out Toy Creators Academy, the first of its kind online program designed to help you develop and pitch your toy ideas. Head over to toycreatorsacademy.com to learn more.